This is a Wisp Politics audio clip. For more, please go to wisppolitics.com. All right, we're back. We're back at the Madison Club. Let's hear it for the Madison Club. Uh, let's hear it for uh, all of you uh, for uh, getting vaccinated and uh, being safe and all that. And uh, there, we, uh, Dane County still has a mask mandate in effect. So when you're not eating, uh, we request that you uh, put your mask on. Um, those uh, giving presentations are not required to have a mask on, uh, so I'm told. But if anybody has a question, I guess you can ask me and I'll ask Joe Parisi what, uh, what the deal is. <laughs> so anyway, uh, we're, uh, we're going to have a, a program today. We're going to have one next month here at the Madison Club. And uh, uh, you'll have information on that soon. We're also going to keep uh, having uh, events uh, online, um, you know, like we were during the pandemic, the height of the pandemic. So we'll stu- still be doing those. And Wisconsin Eye is here today recording this, and there will be a recording available um, in the morning uh, at Wisconsin Eye. So thanks to Wisconsin Eye for all you do, too. Let's hear for Wisconsin Eye. I want to thank our sponsors for this event series. We couldn't do it without you. Uh, Walmart, Lisa Nelson is here for a special appearance. Hello, Lisa. <laughs> Chuck, do you want to have anything to say about that? <laughs> okay. Remember those days, Lisa and Chuck? Okay. ARP Wisconsin, Wisconsin Hospital Association, Hush Blackwell, American Family Insurance, and Excel Energy. Thanks uh, very much to our sponsors. So today we're talking about redistricting. It's very timely. There's actually some news uh, today, not unexpected news, but there's news today. Um, But um, uh, first off, I want to uh, uh, introduce our panel. I think uh, you know three of them very well, maybe too well. Uh, (laughs) They all had, uh, these three gentlemen all have had uh, uh, neck deep experience in redistricting and map drawing and the politics surrounding that. Uh, but we also have uh, uh, Liz Trevino. Hi, Liz. Liz, thanks very much for uh, joining the program. And tell us a little bit about how you came to be with this cast of characters. Sure. Hi, everybody. Uh, glad to be here today. My name is Liz Trevino. I am the state director with the All the Line campaign, which is a campaign of the National Redistricting Action Fund, uh, which aims to combat gerrymandering and restore you know, fairness for democracy and make sure everyone has an equal say in our government. So I uh, grew up in northeastern Wisconsin, up in Shawano, and uh, started working in politics uh, here in Wisconsin about 2010. I feel old. Uh, so super excited to be here today. With, uh, Not as old as all of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so did you, uh, what district, Who's who represented you in the legislature? Uh, my partner, uh, my representative, no, 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 but when you grew up. Oh, in the 8th? Uh, so, Hagen and Holes and uh, Calvin, to be Okay, so you're off the hook, uh, John. <laughs> John Nigren is up. <laughs> Give it a few years. All right, well, let's just start with, with you, Liz. When you're talking to people about redistricting, people who may not even really know about politics or involved in politics. How do you even begin to explain it? Yeah, so I think, you know, one of the things that we focus on a lot is, you know, education and, you know, as a mechanism for accountability and 
and, you know, aiming to make sure this is a more transparent process. So when, you know, I start talking about redistricting, I usually start off with the census and talk about how, you know, once every 10 years, you know, we do a, a, a count to get a, you know, an updated population of everyone living in the country, and that leads us right into redistricting, right? So once that census information is distributed, then, you know, our congressional and state legislative boundaries need to be redrawn. Uh, and then usually clarify that redistricting is not the same thing as gerrymandering, because people seem to, you know, mix those two up quite a bit, and that redistricting is required, and that gerrymandering is, is not. Although Republicans think it is. So that's usually sort of the, the very broad sort of Okay. All right, now I'm going to start with uh, rep former Representative Joe Hendrick. Joe, what do you tell people when uh, they ask you about this very political process? Well, there's a traditional definition, which is that the, every 10 years, the lines for congressional legislative districts have to be moved so that at the end of the day, all of the districts have just about the same population. That's the traditional definition. Of course, there's also the newer definition, which is that redistricting is the excuse Democrats use anytime they lose an election. <laughs> <laughs> so there will be some pot shots taken today. I see. <laughs> All right. Former Senate Majority Leader Chuck Kuala, along with uh, uh, former Assembly Speaker Scott Jensen, the WIS Opinion Insiders. You can see them every week at wispolitics.com. Anyway, Senate Majority Leader, former Senate Majority Leader Kuala, what, what do you tell people when they ask? Well, after you get beyond what the, our two other panels say, it is the ultimate insider process. This is something that the average person could care less about. And I think that because it only happens every 10 years, even within the professional ranks, this is something that largely is dominated by amateurs. And we saw a little bit of that with the fair maps that came out. And you know, the reality is that people who don't do this for a living or who don't understand it in depth, the way the panelists up here do it, it's a very difficult process for them to appreciate. And I think the, the true answer to Jeff's question is, I don't tell them anything because nobody ever asks me this question. And why would you bring it up at a dinner conversation? <laughs> I mean, they already think you're a nerd if you're in politics, so why are you bringing up this redistricting thing that people could care less about? And yet, it may make the difference over the next couple of years of whether or not we have a democracy. It's that important, but it's that foreign to the average person out here. Everyone in this room is here because you're an insider. You get it, you understand the importance of it. The average person could care less and even wonders why we talk. And then, even for those of us who deal with it, Scott Jensen and I have the most recent negotiation that occurred in the state of Wisconsin on politics trying to reach an agreement. And we did that 20 years ago, guys. 20 years ago. So, and we're not professionals in this. Scott's off doing something else, I'm off doing something else. So, we don't even have the discussion. Okay, so now on, on to you, former Assembly Speaker Scott Jensen. The well, I'm, I'm going to agree with Chuck here, and, and that will probably happen more than once today, but um, you're right, this is the ultimate insider's game, and that's unfortunate because actually this decision is one that changes politics in the state for the next 10 years. And whether the decision is made by elected representatives or by uh, state justices, justices or by federal uh, courts, um, they push the state's politics in one direction or another inevitably, no matter what what their goal is um, in the courts or in the legislature. The final result is it nudges Wisconsin politics, a 50-50 state, in one direction or the other. So it's extraordinarily important. Okay, so our goal here today is not to do a district-by-district district analysis, although... Uh 
Joe Hendrick, uh, being the uh, the nerd that he is on this stuff, has some maps available for, uh, when we do some Q and A. So thank you, Joe, for uh, for pairing those. And he's brought Republican maps and and uh, the People's uh, uh, Map Commission maps as well. So um, there's also been some handouts. I, uh, uh, Joe, you passed out some. You passed out this one, right? Yes. And, I, and I what's your aim? And what's your aim here? One of the questions that always comes up are what are the criteria that courts are going to look at? And uh, so Common Sense Wisconsin, we laid out 10 of those, of those criteria. And, and then on the back side, I actually have some data from some of the different maps that have been proposed, including the legislative map, the uh, People's Commission map, and then a couple maps from Common Sense Wisconsin, which is my organization. Right. Common Sense Wisconsin, where you can find on the web at. Common sense, Wisconsin. Very, very good. Very good. All right. Hey, I'm here to help. All right. And Chuck, uh, you passed out some material. What did you pass out? Uh, I did not. I did not expect this large a crowd. But a uh, few of you have a column that I wrote for the Shepherd Express. If you don't have a copy, or if you don't, or you want to look at it, go to the Shepherd Express, and you'll be able to find it online. But it talks about what is likely to happen in the redistricting process. I think it gives you a pretty good roadmap of where we'll end up. Um, and if you get a chance, you can you can read it. You know. You, yeah, Chuck, you're supposed to use your microphone. Oh. Wisconsinites are supposed to use well, your can microphone. Can you all hear me? Um, uh, Wisconsinites supposedly. What I did is I passed out a column I wrote on redistricting for the Shepherd Express. I think it came out around the seventh. You can go online and find it. I think it gives you a pretty good roadmap as to what's going to happen and what the what the chances are. And you know comes to the conclusion that it will be an ultimately partisan redistricting done by courts, by a partisan court, unless we get a profile and courage from either uh, Justice um, Hagedorn or Justice uh, Rogensack. And I think both of those are unlikely, although the Hagedorn possibility has more legs. All right, so just, just say that a little bit. Okay, now uh, let's explore a little bit before we get into the news of the day about, you know, your each of you, your personal experience in redistricting. Joe, what was, uh, how many redistricting maps have you been involved in and what has been the, uh, the extent of your experience? Well, this is my fourth uh, rodeo on the subject, although I'm not actually working for any of the parties that are in court. Uh, but my first time was 1991-92 cycle. I was a staffer at the Capitol and the challenge that year was Milwaukee, the African-American population of Milwaukee had always been underrepresented in the legislature. And so uh, the Republicans in 1991 teamed up with a group called the African-American Coalition for Empowerment, eliminating Barbara White in Milwaukee, with the goal of increasing the number of African-American districts in Milwaukee. And it was a real struggle to try to do that. And I just happened to uh, be the person on the team that, think of this as a 132-piece puzzle in each piece of the puzzle has infinite sides. I was the person in, in 91 who happened to be able to put that puzzle together in Milwaukee County to figure out a way to create the fifth African-American Assembly District, the second African-American Senate District, and then the real kicker was, but what differentiated us was we were able to give that second black Senate District an, an even number. And what that meant was it didn't come with a white incumbent, which would have been Tom Barrett at the time. And it also meant that that second Black Senate District was up for election that year, and so the courts uh, ended up adopting that map uh, in 1992 that I drew. And, and now, uh, did you draw those with pencil? Or, uh, <laughs> believe it or not, the, the technology, what you can do today for free on days redistricting, is really no district different than what we were doing in 1991. 
So the result of that, that new Senate district was how Gwen Moore got her start in, in politics. I don't put that on my resume, but uh, and and for extra credit, and for extra credit, who did Gwen Moore beat in her very first race in that open Senate district? Scott Walker. Okay, well, that's we'll, we'll have to do uh, Lewis Politics Trivia Night here sometime. Okay, uh, okay, um, and then go ahead, Scott Jensen. Well, tell us about your, uh, your experience. So in, in the this. 90s, I was in the governor's office at the time which we had a Republican governor and a Democratic legislature who were unable to reach agreement on a map. I then left, actually, during the middle of that process uh, to go home and run for the legislature. Um, and won my seat in the primary by a whopping 38 votes. Um, and then found, just four months later, the court had redistricted and moved me um, to a district that was 70% new. So having knocked on 13,000 homes, uh, introducing myself to everybody, most of those people I was never gonna meet again <laughs> or, or represent in the legislature. So quickly then had to start all over, run again. Um, in the 2000, and two uh, cycle, obviously I was the speaker. Um, Chuck and I had a number of conversations trying to reach agreement, we were unable to do that. Um, and so that's my most recent experience, but I, I would say this, it is the, it's like a rerun. Uh, this is the same show, uh, second time around. Um, the strategy of the Republicans and the strategy of the Democrats in this process are remarkably similar and uh, we'll probably spend some time talking about that today. Yeah. Alright. Chuck, uh, what about yours? In 2002 I was the uh, Senate Majority Leader, Scott, and I did try to uh, uh, negotiate an agreement. And uh, I don't get the Fister. I don't think we were ever that close, but we made an effort. And obviously it would have resulted in a little more favorable results for the Senate and a, a little more for the Dems, a little more favorable results for the Republicans. Um, Oh, by the way, as long as we're playing trivia here, in that uh, primary that Gwen Moore ran for and won in the state senate, she was opposed in the primary by Lewis Forbes, who is the editor, publisher, owner of the Shepherd Express. In 2002, I would say the one thing that I contributed to the process that made some difference uh, was that when the court had their final plan ready to put out, they first sent it off to us. Uh, Scott and myself and our attorneys to review that. And the Republicans were pretty pleased with the results. It, you know, it does take some good line drawing to do a good job for Democrats. And, uh, and so they, they sent over to us a map. And they had, you could tell where they ended up with, they didn't know what to do with the last piece. It was over near Rock County. And Rock County had flipped back and forth between Republican and Democratic senators, Tim Cullen, Tim Whedon, et cetera, et cetera. And the one thing that we were able to do is to submit to the court before they issued their final. This, by the way, this is the first time this is publicly known. I've told a couple of individuals. Um, Scott knows it, of course. Uh, the Republicans wrote to us and said, hey, let's just let it go. What do you think? Let's, let's do it. And I, we said, well, how about this? And we cleaned up the court's lines over in that area so they didn't look as ugly. And the, and the, the positive result we got out of that was an absolutely secure Rock County seat, which till today is something that now the Republicans try to pack more with Democrats. So that, that's, our, that's my involvement, and um, frankly, that gives us probably some of the strongest involvement in actually redistricting negotiation of anybody in the state of Wisconsin who's still around. All right, so Liz, today the Governor Evers vetoed the Republican maps. I don't think that's a surprise, but he did that today. So now what? Yeah, I think, you know, 
it should place for anybody to know that you know we're reaching legislative impasse, which is what's happened historically in Wisconsin every time we have you know split government during redistricting, and you know litigation is already you know ongoing in both federal and state court. And so I think you know we, we watch this play out in the courts is really the next moves here. So why don't you talk about the national strategy, because you're part of a national group, and, and so, uh, I mean, this is vitally important for Democrats to try to hold on to the, the House, and, uh, and, you know, of course you're involved in all the, uh, trying to make sure the maps uh, are uh, uh, decent for Democrats uh, on the legislative front, too, but what, what's it, what is the overall national strategy? Yeah, I think, you know, nationally, it's, it's really just sort of putting a spotlight on uh, what you know, states across country are doing right now in redistricting, right? We're seeing a lot of themes in Republican le legislatures of like, you know, not holding a transparent process, you know, having hearings that are last minute, that are, you know, not really accessible for folks, and like really just continuing to highlight, you know, you know, folks who are, you know, not acting in good faith during this process. Um, and, yeah, so, I think so, you know, Chuck said, you know, people don't care about it, but I, I think uh, all of us have seen a rise in um, certainly, um, I think, um, Democratic Party and uh, or, allied organizations have been trying to raise the alarm bells, uh, you know, or raise noise surrounding this issue. And so where, where do you think that is, you know, um, do you think more people are educated about the issue than than in previous years. Yeah, I, I do think so. I think that there's just a ton, the focus is just entirely different. I think, you know, after the last presidential, you know, cycle that we've had, I think just generally the political awareness is just very heightened in this country across the board. And I think, you know, a lot of reflection on like the institution of democracy is really on the table for a lot of folks. And so I, I definitely think that there's just a lot more Folks being plugged in this time around, for sure. All right, but let's it's, reflect it's on remarkable that. remarkable how that has changed. I mean, in, in 2002, I think it clearly was an insider's game. There was some media attention to it, but not a great deal of media attention. In 2010, or 2011, excuse me, um, there was more media attention. Uh, there were a lot more lawsuits gave the media something to cover. And those lawsuits continued on for many years in the state. But this time, I do think there's a greater public um, interest in all this. I mean. There are yard signs in my town up for redistricting. I don't quite know what the yard sign is going to do for redistricting, but but they're there. They're there. That means somebody cared enough to go out and spend five bucks to get a yard sign about them for fair maps uh, in my neighborhood, which I can't believe. But anyways, so there are there are, there are a lot of, there are a lot of people out there who care about it, and I get people who ask me questions about it now and would not have gotten that 20 years ago. So I do think there's a higher public interest here. The, you know, okay, this is an insider, so let's let's get real with you guys. Despite that level of interest, nobody, I mean nobody, votes based upon whether something has been gerrymandered. That's why the Republicans pay absolutely no price for the gerrymandering they did in the past and for the gerrymandering that they're about to have approved by a court, because nobody votes on that. That's why Robin Moss can be as aggressive as he is. If his party were to pay a political price because of that, they would not be so aggressive. So let's, let's, let's clear the air here. Yes, there's a lot more public interest, but I don't care who's got that, that, that sign in their lawn. If it's a woman, she's going to be looking at what happens with the Supreme Court and abortion. If it's a guy, he's saying, are they really teaching critical race theory in the schools? It may be something like that, but it will have nothing to do with redistricting, even though redistricting is one of the most important things that's going on. Well, yeah, but couldn't it be part of a whole voting rights, uh, you know, uh, you know, voting, uh, 
Nobody okay. votes on here. Look, this is what the insiders know. <laughs> People vote, do not vote on process. They vote on what affects their day-to-day -day life. Okay, let's be clear about it. So this is a great exercise, and it's important for our democracy. But short of the insiders, short of the Liz Cheney's and others who may be willing to take a, an extreme political risk or career risk. There is nothing that happens with redistricting and gerrymandering that will affect the vote of average citizens. Okay, anybody? Do you want to take on check on that? Well, you just look at Illinois and that crazy congressional map down there where congressmen have to drive through three districts just to get from one end of theirs to another. And, and so they've so blown up communities of interest that people probably aren't even going to realize that they're in the same district with somebody else because chances are they're not. But what's interesting to me, Jeff, is that the public interest in redistricting also seemed to become a lot greater after Republicans in 2010 won a number of big states and suddenly controlled the process. Suddenly, then uh, one-party control became this terrible thing, and uh, suddenly um, people just forgot the whole history. I mean, in 1982, yeah. a nonpartisan federal court handed down a map in Wisconsin. And then the Democrats the next year took total control of the legislature and in the middle of the decade passed a new map. You, you can look through the archives, you're not going to see editorial after editorial from the press talking about gerrymandering and, and abuse of the process. But then when Republicans were in control in 2010, then suddenly, oh my God, how can we have politicians drawing the lines? Uh, I'm going to beg to differ just a little bit with your uh, remembrance of 82, 83. 83 is when the, the uh, Democrats take complete control. I was a summer intern here at the Capitol um, and watched as the state budget was being developed. And then one of the last motions was from, I believe, Dave Travis as a staffer and others at the last minute. A large uh, amendment was added to the state budget, which redistricted all of Wisconsin. The Journal Sentinel went nuts. Newspapers around the state went nuts that it was done in the state budget. That was their only complaint about it. So Governor <laughs> Earl vetoed it, and they came back just a few weeks later and passed essentially the same darn map. And there was no hullabaloo about that. There was no complaints about the fact that the Democrats had a partisan redistricting after a federal court had actually created a fair map just a year earlier. Okay, we're into war story season, so right, let's go there. So, by the way, the only reason I ever made it to the legislature, and this is again, Republicans should worry about their, what they wish for. I was defeated in 1978 by that same Dave Travis who was introducing redistricting. The only reason I got into the legislature is because of the court map in 1982, which created an open seat. And this wonderful woman made all the difference in the world as to whether or not I got elected. That's Gretchen Lowe, who made sure that AFSCME endorsed me that year. Thank you, Gretchen. Um, and so the, the, the reality is that, that this stuff has a lot of implications. But the, the, partisan, the quote unquote partisan map that was done by Democrats resulted in a change of majority in the assembly toward the Republican Party. So it couldn't have been that bad. And it wasn't. Why? Because Dave Travis was constrained by making sure that he didn't go over the top or it would have looked really ugly and the Journal Sentinel may have gone uh, farther. Now, yes, there were implications. 
for example, Joe Winicky and I were talking about running for Carl Thompson seat, and Joe told me one weekend or one Thursday when we were in the same office, I think we shared the same office with the metal desk, he said, Chuck, I'm going to the, the car dealership this week. This is another one that's never been told about. He says, if I decide to buy the car, I'm not running for the Senate, and you know, it's, then it's yours, because Tom Loftus was Speaker of the Assembly, and I talked to Tom and said, oh, you know, you got to run for this, you guys, because of and Joe came back that Monday and I said, Joe, did you find a car? He said, I did. I said, Joe, that's wonderful, fantastic, because yeah, he's not going to run for the Senate for the seat that I have. Yes, there are a lot of implications, but the, the maps that were drawn then were not drawn nearly as aggressively as in, in, in this last go-round. So Joe, Joe, you did these maps, didn't you? I go out to Deerfield, where I spent from year one to year five of my life, Deerfield, Wisconsin, and I see this person running for the assembly, this yard side. I said, well, my gosh, this has got to be Melissa Sargent's district. What's this crazy name? I haven't heard of anything. I think I'm a little bit of an insider. I found out that Deerfield in Dane County was paired up with Oconomowoc, way over in Waukesha County, so the Republicans could take even more power away from Dane County and the little Democratic community of Deerfield that was there. I mean, there's redistricting, there's partisanship, and then there's gerrymandering that goes to the point where your democracy is at risk. And let me just get this in, and then I'll, we'll get back to this, I'm sure. When you pack all Democrats into a district, and you pack all Republicans into a district, then the only thing that matters is a primary. And when the only thing that matters is a primary, you go to the right. That's what's dragging Mitch McConnell, even, and the Republicans down the QAnon road. Because if your base is 60% Donald Trump, you cannot get away from it unless you are at risk in a general election. We need enough competitive seats for majorities in general elections, or we will lose our democracy. Okay, so go, oh, go ahead. Liz. I was just going to add just to this point. Like, the thing that makes this last you know, 2010 round so different than previous decades is the sheer like, sophistication that was utilized, technologically speaking, right? And that changes the, you know, the egregiousness of the gerrymander that we saw. And I think you know, moving into this redistricting cycle, we're seeing a lot of legislatures really try and entrench that you know, that starting point that they had last, you know, during the last redistricting round, which makes it so, so impactful, I think, for, for folks. Okay, so, so Liz, how, what would be a Democratic map in Wisconsin? Could a true Democratic map be drawn in Wisconsin? I mean, I think, Wisconsin, <laughs> you know, yeah, I think that You just happen to have one here? Is I don't right? think that we can, yeah, I don't think that it is possible to draw like a gerrymandered Democrat map the same way. I just don't, just because of how, you know, our political geography shakes out. I don't think that is the NLPL, which is sort of touted as well, oftentimes, right? Like, oh, Wisconsin, you know, Democrats just all sell pack. I don't think that's a fair argument either. I think that's, uh, that's disingenuous, but um, I, I think a competitive map certainly would be, I think it just needs to be competitive. I think, you know, Democrats, Republicans will do just fine if the maps are competitive, right, and not, Okay, well, let's hear from the Republicans. Are the maps competitive? Are, are, they, are the maps that the Republicans passed competitive, or are they gerrymandered for Republicans? Well, in 2018, Tony Evers in the 51st Assembly District won 55% of the vote. And on that same election, Todd Novak, the Republican, won for the State Assembly. So the Democrats have been just overemphasizing their problem being with the maps and underemphasizing that they also have a problem with candidates and with issues and with, and with messaging. But in terms of the entire map, uh, Tammy Baldwin in 2018 got 55% of the vote and won 55 seats in the state assembly. 
she can do it, it's just that legislative Democrats have not been able to. Okay, so let's talk, of, though, back to the question. So uh, Governor Evers vetoed the map, so now it's in, going to be in the courts. So which court actually uh, holds precedence here? Because I think there's a little bit of confusion. The, Dem the federal courts seem to so sort of step in first, and then the state Supreme Court, uh, controlled by conservatives, uh, jumped in and wanted to assert its authority, is I guess how I saw it. But, um, you know, Scott Jensen, you know, which court will prevail? I think in the end, it will be the state court. Um, the state Supreme Court should be the place where this is decided. In fact, the United States Supreme Court has said that these matters should be settled at the state level, first by state legislature and governors. If they can't get it done, then it should be done by the state's courts. That's what the U.S. Supreme Court and other federal courts have done. They said it should only come to them if that is not possible to resolve at that level or if there's a Voting Rights Act implication that somehow the maps that were drawn violate the Federal Voting Rights Act. That's, that's the argument that we have been making for some time, but it was the argument I made in 2002 uh, when we asked the Wisconsin State Supreme Court to take up the maps, and they said, you're right, we should be doing this, but we have no idea how to do this. We have no experience with it. The federal courts have been doing it. We'll let them do it one more time, and then we're gonna come up with a rule and a process for how we're gonna move forward on this. And then in 2009, they tried to do that. They failed to come up with a rule. They disagreed with each other, couldn't come up with a rule. I reminded them of that last year, said, remember this promise you made 20 years ago to set up a process for the state court to be ready to do this and participate, which is very weird for me, in a Supreme Court hearing, because it was an administrative rule hearing, not a case. So as a non-lawyer, I was able to participate in it and was sort of dumbfounded that the courts were like, well, why do we need to do this, and how do we know that, you know, shouldn't we just let the federal government do it? It was clear it was like a hot potato, that ne neither court wants to do it, because it's an icky business, right, drawing these lines. It's very political, and courts like to be seen as not being political. So they kept trying to punt it, and I kept saying, you're going to run the clock out, and there won't be much time, and suddenly you'll have to draw the map. So then what? So today, so what for some are, they are about to have to draw the map. They didn't set up a process. They didn't set up a rule for it. They're going to invent this on the fly in the short period of time that they have. And the federal courts have consistently said, well, you guys should take a first crack at it here. Well, then, you know, the scenario could be that the state Supreme Court does it and maybe does it uh, not as uh, well as you think they could or should. And then it, uh, there's a challenge to the federal court. Isn't that absolutely right? I mean, Andy, but now there, the federal courts are probably only likely to take it up if they think there's a, a violation of the federal law, mm -hmm. like the Voting Rights Act. All right. So, Chuck, you are an attorney. So, what, uh, you know, what, what, what court should hold precedence here? Well, what court should is the federal court, which uh, Diane cites, a um, people would call her a very conservative justice who is now on the Seventh Circuit has put together a three-judge panel consisting of two um, district court judges and then the uh, Seventh Circuit Court judge, all of whom, are, my understanding is, are widely respected. One appointed by Trump, who is the from the Seventh Circuit, which is the upper court, and therefore that of the, he, she, I guess, would be the first among equals in that three-judge panel, with another justice from, or another judge from Chicago, and, and uh, Peterson from, from here locally. Uh, that would be a lifetime appointment judge making the decision 
in a bipartisan makeup if you want to look at it from that standpoint, but not having any threat to their future from the decision. However, I agree with Scott that this decision will be made by the Wisconsin Supreme Court. And look at the column that I wrote. The problem is twofold for, for, for Democrats, but I think for democracy. First of all, the United States Supreme Court sent a very strong signal to, to United States district and circuit courts across the country during the last go-round saying, gerrymandering, we don't want to hear about it. Wisconsin, the most partisan gerrymandering in the entire country, was in front of the US Supreme Court. They said, it's not justiciable. It is not something that courts can decide. That was, their, that was their decision. I think wrongly decided, but it is the law of the land. You have to respect that. So then fast forward to today. What we have now is the Wisconsin Supreme Court, which Scott is correct, back in the 80s, they didn't want to touch it. You know why? Because they did not want to be seen as partisan. And also judges and justices are remarkably concerned about their credibility and their independence because courts really only have power if the executive branch is willing to enforce what they do. Here's the problem. We now have a Wisconsin Supreme Court that is totally partisan. One member of the Wisconsin Supreme Court previously had his election run right out of the Republican Party headquarters here in Madison. Right out of their headquarters. And all of them have had Republican partisans doing their work for the majority. And by the way, this is not just Republicans. Democrats had their races run by the Democratic Party operatives. That's a partisan court. Why do we have three branches of government? Because we want one branch, the judicial branch, to be totally independent. But guess what? Years ago, when I was still in the legislature, more than 20 years ago, I said, you know, we should get appointed judges, and let's make it long term, and kind of like, almost like a lifetime thing, like the feds. Why? Because even if they're appointed by a Republican or a Democrat, once they've got lifetime appointment, hey, I'm a judge, I'm going to do whatever. That is not what is happening in Wisconsin now. All of these justices have to look to the Republican Party to bring it back, as it is Hagedorn's, you know, starting a fire under his own feet about whether he's going to come back is because he's made a couple of independent decisions. The sad fact is, folks, unless we get a profile and courage from Hagedorn or from Rogensack, this will be decided by the Wisconsin Supreme Court, and I would predict that it will be something very close to the Republican proposal to minimize changes, which means let's lock in the partisan gerrymandering. Why? Because that's what their folks who run their campaigns want. This is a dangerous thing for Wisconsin. It's a dangerous thing for democracy. I'm hopeful that maybe one of the justices will say, look, this is going to hurt our credibility. This is going to hurt our independence. And there are people watching. And at what point do we say, no, this is too much? Let's just kick it over to the federal court. And by the way, the federal court is there, as you know, standing there ready to do it. Why do I believe that's the likely result? Because two days or so after the federal court said, we've got a timetable to get this done, the Wisconsin Supreme Court said, oh, no, 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 we, we, we're going to do this. That's not a good sign. We don't have any filibuster rules here, Joe. <laughs> so just, just only one senator. <laughs> Jeff, just to take this as a natural conclusion, if the Wisconsin Supreme Court does issue a ruling, the losing side in that ruling, then if they appeal, that appeal goes to the U.S. Supreme Court. It doesn't go to a district federal court. However, there's a little wrinkle there, and that is because there already is a federal panel established, There is this is an open legal question, there is a chance that that federal panel could take up strictly an issue that has already been raised before that federal panel that deals with, for example, the Voting Rights Act. So 
the Supreme Court action could go to the U.S. Supreme Court or it could go to the three-judge federal panel if there's an appeal, but that's... Well, so you, okay, so it, for you who have drawn maps and been involved in the past, does it, does it, do you like when it goes to a court or you think, oh, anything could happen? Well, this is where Republicans really have the advantage, and, and you saw this in 2002. Uh, we, went, we went to the court, we drew maps, went to the court with them, and told the court, here's our map, we'd love for you to pick it, but more importantly, here's the principles, here are the objective redistricting criteria that you need to follow when you're drawing a map. Because if you follow those objective redistricting criteria, Republicans in Wisconsin are always going to have the advantage. And that in, 19, in 2002 is exactly what the court did. They didn't adopt our map, but they adopted our principles and they, they rejected the Democrats' map, maps. Um, and, and the arguments, and Scott referred to this earlier, the arguments this time around are really similar. In 2002, Republicans were approaching the court saying, you should base the new map off the current map and Democrats are arguing the current map is too partisan, even though it was drawn by a federal panel. It's too partisan, you need to scrap the whole thing and start over. And that's when Judge uh, Frank Easterbrook, uh, and I'm gonna paraphrase him, but he had a quite famous line in that trial when the Democrats were complaining about the fact that there were more Republican seats. He said, it's not the Republicans' fault that Democrats have all chosen to live next to one another. <laughs> okay, and Easterbrook was appointed by whom? Ronald Reagan. Okay. <laughs> just just <laughs> to make that clear. Okay, Liz, you know, I, a lot of people say who, uh, you know, who, the, the people who have these fair map uh, signs in, in uh, Jensen's neighborhood, uh, they, they think they, a, some of them think a nonpartisan uh, redistricting commission is the answer. Yeah. But, you know, there was an article in the New York Times today rounding up why, how some of those have failed. But I'm wondering what you, how you view the idea of a nonpartisan redistricting commission and whether sure. that would make your job easier. I think that commissions, the thing to note about commissions is that, is that there's not just one type. I think how they are structured, how they, they are set up on the front end is really important to how we see, you know, the process play out. Right there, there are advisory commissions, there are commissions that, you know, have legislators as commissioners, like all of those things are really important to how this will play out, right? Or if, how it plays out in different states. I do think, you know, the redistricting process not being in the hands of elected officials is really the key. And I think that is what, you know, commissions, if, you know, depending on how they're designed, really can offer. Um, and, but I do think there there's value in, in independent commissions, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, or maybe they need to be more safeguarded or more, more walled off from... Um, Correct. The, I think, you know, all the elected structures are really important in right. how they... If, if, if that is even possible. Okay, uh, Scott Jensen. Yeah, I, I think we learned something from the governor's supposedly independent commission um, that drew maps this time. Um, for all the talk about how this state is 50-50 and you really then the maps for the legislature should be 50-50, when the gov Democratic governor's friends sat down to draw maps, they couldn't draw a map that met the principles that the Supreme Court and others have said are necessary that didn't lean Republican. The map leans Republican. The only time Democrats can pick up uh, some of the chambers are in a wave election. That's what the Republicans have been arguing for a really, really long time. You can't draw a map using the longstanding principles that the Supreme Court and other courts have laid out without ending up in this state with a Republican map simply because of the way Republicans and Democrats are distributed across the state. So we learned something from that process uh, there. And it also will, I think it will affect the, um, the court cases that come up here. 
the courts will note that an independent commission um, came up with a map that leans Republican. The Republican map leans even more Republican. And the so you think that's going to end up in, in a court case? Oh, I think the governor's team will try to bring that case, bring that up, and the Republicans will clearly respond by saying, you know, it's fascinating that the, that the commission put this map together, didn't follow the principles really on the Voting Rights Act, and as a result, a large number of Democrats in the legislature voted against Governor Eber's map. This, and, and then we should note that, uh, you know, that the assembly current assembly speaker, uh, I guess, made sure to put Democrats on record about that, and there was a divided caucus. Right. I mean, it was almost 50-50 divided among Democrats. I think that is, first of all, politically extraordinarily embarrassing. Um, it, co it completely undermines the Democratic strategy in court when you have members, elected members of your own team standing up and saying these maps are not fair to minority voters. That's a huge problem. And if I could just put a quick plug in, so Scott described how the, the people's maps are out here and the legislature's maps are out here. There's, then there's also maps that I prepared for Common Sense Wisconsin, which kind of come down in the middle. Uh, what we did was we we took the existing map, and like you're supposed to do, we based the new map on the current map, but then also tried to improve on those objective criteria. We tried to unsplit municipalities, put more communities of interest back together, improve compactness and maintain the Voting Rights Act. And so you'll see that. Did that end up being a Republican map or a Democratic map? It, uh, well, if, we, if we look at Walker numbers, the, uh, the legislative map, Scott Walker would win 61 districts. The People's Commission map, he would win 56. And in our map, he would win 58. Hmm. OK. Chuck, do you have something before we, we're going to take audience questions? Yeah, I, I think it's important to note that there are all sorts of reasons why legislators vote a particular way. In particular, they vote their self-interest. Uh, when Dave Travis drew his maps, by the way, it's not just Republicans who try to draw these things in secret. Dave Travis drew his in secret. And all of a sudden, I heard that there was a map. So I went to a room where I understood Dave Travis was starting to show people things. How's my district look? I said, uh, yeah, that's not going to work. I'm going to be voting against this on the floor, so you better come up with something better. Dave Travis changed the map. Don't go by what individual legislators do. Remember this. There's only one job for a minority leader in the legislature. One job. Get the majority. Other than that, they have no power. Majority leaders can have an impact on their caucus and how they vote. Minority leaders can't control that. So it may be as simple as the, the, the legislator didn't like the way their individual district looked. Now, the, Joe Hendricks an honest man. You notice when Jeff, Jeff asked him a direct question, is this a really big partisan gerrymander, blah, blah, blah. He didn't answer. He went on and answered something else. It's the oldest political trick that we all do, okay? As legislators, you're running. You don't like the question, you pivot, you go someplace else. The reality is here, you can talk all about what the criteria do or whatever. You're going to see maps from Democrats that will give them the opportunity to win a majority in both the Senate and the Assembly. Much easier in the Senate than in the Assembly. But no matter what, any court, look, unless it's a partisan court, which is what I'm afraid we're going to get, will look at the Republican plan to take the old gerrymander and do minimization to changes, which actually makes it more partisan and more gerrymandered. No viable, neutral court would adopt that as the map. No court. You're going to put Deerfield in with Oconwa? Give me a break. 
Chuck? Is that the secret map, Chuck, or are you going to listen? Secret map. <laughs> I, I said Democrats do it as well as Republicans. <laughs> All right. Joe, uh, why don't you go to your maps? And ca- now, so now, folks, I, you may have individual questions about individual districts. So, Joe, why don't you take your mic with you, too? And then what, Joe, let's just ask you, and you can, since you've loaded these up, what, what districts are you watching in the process? You mentioned Novak's district in Dodgeville. But what other districts to you are, like, key to watch? Uh, or should we just watch the Senate districts uh, since uh, – it would seem that there would be an easier chance to even things out in a, in a Senate district. In terms of the court battle, I'd say 80% of the emphasis in court in each of the last three decades has revolved around districts 10, 11, 12, 16, 17, 18. Those this is in Milwaukee County. Those are the African-American districts. Uh, eight and nine are Latino districts. So that, that takes up most of the court time. But politically, um, most of the action in Wisconsin, in terms of what changes, is going to be in what I call the turbulent zone. Milwaukee County lost people. Dane County, which is way over here, gained a lot of people. So Dane County districts are going to shrink. Milwaukee County districts are going to get bigger. And what that does is in that area in between, Jefferson County, Waukesha County, even if the district is perfectly populated, it's probably going to really change a lot, even under a least changes map, because the population has to move from Milwaukee over to Madison. So starting, you know, with the Wauwatosa and, the, and, the, and then over here in the Waukesha County, all the way through Jefferson counties, where I think you're going to see the most, quote-unquote, upheaval versus the current map. And then talk about the 3rd Congressional District. It's, it's been the only swing, state, uh, swing district in, in Wisconsin, but it's, uh, uh, it's uh, a real toss-up district, uh, for the 2022 election, very important nationally. Um, okay, so this is the People's Commission version. Uh, the third district right now, and, and for the record, I had absolutely nothing to do with drawing the existing congressional districts. That would be the congressman. And uh, yeah, the congressman did that. And if you know, there there is this, the current third district has this really weird thing where it goes up and it grabs Stevens Point, Portage County. And that was done presumed to benefit both at the time Sean Duffy and Ron Kind. If you think about it, it helps both of them out. So uh, fortunately that real oddity is gone now. So the People's Commission maps, what they do to the third, the third historically has been over here. They take the third and they add Green County, which is Democratic County. They bring a little bit into Dane County and then they add Columbia County, which is a Democratic area. So they, I don't know the exact numbers on that, but Okay, so, and, and that's going to be crucial. All right, let's hear some questions from the audience, either for the panel or for, uh, you know, a specific district. Uh, go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. This is the common sense version of it, uh, where we put Portage County. We keep Portage County in third, but it's no longer a, a weird leg to get there. And then somewhere here, this is, is the, le- I'm sorry, the legislative map. Oh, boy. All right, well, well, that's a picture of of, uh, of all the times that I've admitted to Jerry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> Joe doesn't even need a straight man. All right, let's go with it. So we've seen Joe has handed out the, the 10 legal 
principles on redistricting, which which are all these elements, and I think I think in some ways they've even admitted that the you know preserving the current map, uh, you know, is going to be a Republican partisan map. Um, clearly, one thing left out of you know these principles that our federal courts talked about in the last you know um, about eight years ago um, that, that the Supreme Court undid, you know, would have brought in elements of competition into the evaluation process. Can I'd like to hear from each side, you know, Democrats and Republicans on, you know, the case for or against, you know, competition being one of these criteria that we really should be looking at um, and why that would make for better maps or not better maps. So um, I'll say this, the, the, are there Democrats all throughout the country trying to introduce um, the concept that competition should be a principle um, uh, in the 2011-2012 court cases around the country. Um, in a couple of places, the Republicans tried to introduce that same uh, idea in Illinois, Maryland, a couple other places like that. So there was an effort to do that. When that bubbled up to the U.S. Supreme Court, though, in the end, perhaps, again, going back to this notion that the courts don't want to be seen as doing things that are political, the U.S. Supreme Court essentially said, in a case that the the political implications of the map is not what's important. It's the other things that are on Joe's list here, and most importantly, the Voting Rights Act, maximizing the opportunities for minorities to get to elected to office. So, they said that taking in the partisan implications of the map was not something that the courts should do. I think that that could well change, and the way that that could happen, Joel, is that we are now so tribal, it's clear that whichever party is elected, that determines the policies that will be adopted. And I think the way that Democrats might be able to bootstrap into this, and, and it's a really important issue, is that you saw all of the districts that Joe Hendrick pointed out as the voting rights districts and minority representation, they're both black and Hispanic districts. Those districts are what? They're overwhelmingly Democratic. They are the reason why Democrats cannot get, according to Joe Hendrick and Scott Jensen, maps that would make them competitive. The whole intent of the Voting Rights Act is to give representation to African-American, Hispanic, and other minority interests that are out there, correct? When we are so tribal, what benefit is there to minorities to have an elected black representative or senator or Hispanic senator or representative if none of the policies that you want will be adopted. That turns the Voting Rights Act on its head. And actually what it does, and Republicans, you know, it's the old story, be careful what you wish for. Democrats, oh, this is great, we're gonna make sure that minorities are protected. No, it's actually used as a hammer to beat Democrats and keep them from being able to get a majority, which would actually allow these democratically elected minorities to have a say and a voice. I think that is how the competitiveness issue becomes an effective issue for Democrats. I think they should be using it at the state Supreme Court level. I think there might be an opportunity to do that at the federal level. But the reality is, one of the things that you're starting to see is what happens when you get really totally partisan maps and, and totally partisan representatives, Robin Gloss and the Republicans were into destroying even the public support for cities during the last budget. 
Now this gets into the weeds, but this is an insider problem. Who does that hurt? It hurts minorities, because that's where they live. And I think that there would be kind of a Brandeis brief, for those of you who are lawyers, type of approach with regard to redistricting, which could make an effective argument for a US Supreme Court that's different, or for a Wisconsin Supreme Court that maybe has somebody like Hagdorn or maybe some new democratically elected justice in 2023 who might accept that argument. I think for the Republicans to be able to say, ha, 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 you got 90% of those black people voting for Democrats, they can have all the representation they want. They ain't getting a majority, they're not gonna get a darn thing. That's where we're at. I don't think in the long run the, our society will accept that, nor do I think our courts will accept that, or at least I hope. Okay, Liz, before we go back to Joe there, what, what is your position, your organization's position, and your position on these uh, majority-minority uh, districts? Uh, so I will say that, you know, courts obviously will make sure, you know, their map, whatever maps they, Decide upon our VRA compliant. Obviously, we support that process and, and um, you know, uplift that process. I think, you know, in Wisconsin, we just continue to see wasted votes, right? Like, and, and I think that is really the thing to keep coming back to is like, there is real representation when your votes are just diluted. So, you're so sort of like t calling for a reinterpretation of how the Voting Rights Act has been uh, uh, applied, I guess, right? I, I don't know that I can say that I am not a lawyer or a VRA expert, so we can um, I, yeah, I mean, it seems like the, the, the way that it has been applied is, is no long, is, uh, Chuck, you're shaking your head, am I, am I, am I yeah. <laughs> right. no, but that's what you're trying to say, yeah. though, right? It, it needs to be reinterpreted in a different way. Yeah. Okay. They, they want to reinterpret it from maximizing the opportunity for minorities to get elected to office to maximizing the opportunities for Democrats to get elected to office, because that's the difference. I mean, the dirty secret here is that the Democrat strategy requires them to reduce the number of seats that minorities are likely to get elected to in the legislature, yet they claim to be their champions. And that's what they do, that's what they did in the 2002 cycle, that's what they did with the maps in the 2012 cycle, and that's what their maps do right here. That's why 17 Democrats in the assembly voted no. That's why the, the minority representatives in the legislature had a fit, because the, the governor's maps reduce the number of African-American and Hispanics likely to get elected in Democratic seats to the legislature. I would point out that Republicans also have African-American and uh, Hispanic representatives, but they're in, they're in all sorts of different kinds of Republican seats. They're not packed seats. All right, Joe, you wanted to talk about uh, what district is this? Well, on, the, on this general question of competitiveness, yeah. and keep in mind that I learned how to do Venn diagrams from Scott Walker, but you have, <laughs> you, you have a population of people who say we want to end a gerrymandering, and then another population of people that say uh, we, we want to have competitive districts in the district. There shouldn't be real Republican districts and real Democratic districts. But in Wisconsin, the only way you get competitive districts, is, or a lot of them, is to gerrymander. And, and there's a lot of overlap between these two groups in some kind of weird Venn diagram. I will go back again to 2002 where one of the Democrats in the State Assembly, a guy named Fred Kessler, introduced maps in court. And I don't have a picture of it here. But this is what he had to do to get competitive districts. He started in a district that had downtown Kenosha, just a little strip that went over the top, out there, down to the bottom, and then went over here to the village of, I think it's Fontana in Walworth County. And then suddenly it was a 50-50 district. 
That's what you have to do to create all these competitive districts. Because otherwise, when you, this is the common sense map for Southeast Wisconsin. Otherwise, these districts here, Racine, Kenosha, are going to be Democrat. And these districts out here in the burbs are going to be Republican. So what do you want? Do you want fair districts? Do you want balanced districts, competitive districts? Or do you want to end gerrymandering? I would argue that it would be great if the maps that you know were just passed by the legislature and the uh, 2011 maps weren't so packed and cracked, including in communities of color that dilute their voices. I think that that is like the big takeaway here. I think that, that that's really it. The federal court actually threw out one of our Latino districts because they said it wasn't packed enough. They said it needed a higher level of Latino districts. There's a simple way, you know, uh, Joe keeps talking about Democrat maps to be competitive have to quote unquote gerrymandering. There's a simple way that that's not true, and that is if you simply go back to the fundamental decision which changed uh, redistricting forever, Reynolds versus Sims, the federal court case from the 1960s. And you know what that case said? It said one person, one vote. I think that's a principle that most everyone in this room could agree upon. We can't agree on anything else. Then it's a matter of where do you take that? Republicans take that in one direction. Democrats would take that in the direction of, look, you've got a competitive state, roughly 50-50 state, and that's what Wisconsin, Georgia, Arizona are. If you have a state like that, shouldn't you be able to draw maps that give people an opportunity not only to elect a governor and a US senator, but also to elect a majority in the legislature? And by the way, if you don't do that, then you see a 50-50 state like Wisconsin having a budget process where it's our way or the highway from the legislative standpoint. You know, and being a legislative supremacist, as maybe Scott Jensen is as well, no, he worked for Tommy Thompson, so maybe not. But <laughs> if, you're, if you're a legislative supremacist like I am, that's what you want, total control. The legislature, we say, Governor, you can either sign it or not. That is not what people want. And all you do is change the definition of gerrymandering to one person, one vote, which is the fundamental decision related to redistricting from 1964. Problem solved. And you can keep your minority representation, keep the Voting Rights Act in place, and then you just use the rest of the state to make sure you draw maps that can be competitive. It can be done, and it will be done in front of the court. Scott and Joe have been beating on the fair maps thing. They've got a good point. They did a terrible job, okay? I'm not employed by any of these people, so I can say they did a terrible job. But they are not the final word and the court will see better. All right, let's, uh, we're uh, losing some time here, but let's just talk about what are the possible, what's the possible wild card here? What is the possible big surprise? What what could really like, uh, what do you fear the most, uh, uh, Joe and Scott, and what do you hope for uh, the most uh, in terms of a surprise, Liz and Chuck? Uh, why don't we start with Joe? Because of the discussion held earlier about that the Supreme Court lacks a certain amount of infrastructure to, to, do, to do cases like this, that suggests to me that they're more likely than not to pick a map that is submitted as opposed to drawing their own. So to me, a surprise would be if they actually drew a new map from scratch. The other surprise I think will happen if, let's say the Democrats have a really, really good court decision, get a really, really what they consider a good map for Democrats, after the 2022 election, Wisconsin's wake up is going to wake up and find there's still strong Republican majorities in the legislature, and there's a whole lot of people who are going to feel like they've been lied to for 10 years that, that the Democrats' problem is all because of the man. All right. Uh, go ahead, uh, Scott. What do you think is the uh, the big... Okay, go ahead, Chuck. What's the big surprise in, from uh, your 
several possible big, big surprises. Several big surprises. The legislature doesn't get a map they like. They pass a joint resolution, and the, US, and the Wisconsin Supreme Court says, oh, yeah, the Constitution doesn't say the governor has to be involved. And the Wisconsin Supreme Court reverses itself and says, okay, we went. Uh, another big surprise, 2023, there's an election. And the Democrats come back with a different challenge to the maps that are out there. We now have a 4-3 progressive court, and the court decides, oh, yes, that was a wrong map. Here's going to be the map, and going forward, we end up with a different map. Ah, by the way, if Governor Evers is not reelected, if he's reelected, easy peasy, that's done, done deal for the Democrats because the U.S. Supreme Court says non-justiciable. But if he's not elected, do they then come back and redo it again? So you can see multiple maps over the course of a couple of election cycles. Final thing is, is it possible that uh, Hagedorn or Rogensack you know, decides that they really want to do something brave here and they want to establish independence, they say, we're not going to do this. This is too partisan. This will be too ugly. It will take away our independence, and they throw it to the federal court. Those are the, the unusual options. Okay, go ahead, Scott. You have no, you have no surprises? <laughs> my surprise. I mean, I, I do think if, uh, a surprise would be uh, the Wisconsin, well, one surprise would be the Wisconsin Supreme Court does not take up uh, the case that they let the federal courts resolve it. I think that would be surprising. Okay. Liz, what are you hoping for as a surprise, or what do you fear as a surprise? I think Chuck actually summed it up pretty well. I think, you know, which court this ultimately lands in could be a surprise, and I think, you know, the upcoming elections, you know, in the spring and in the fall will be pretty important to watch how this continues to play out. Okay, so um, you know we're just you know we're just really at the beginning of the process because you know today's veto uh, really started the uh, the ball rolling here. So uh, you know uh, we can do so much at this point, but we'll co we'll come back when we know more, and we'll do this again. I really appreciate it, uh, Liz. And tell us uh, the the website for your organization again. Onthelineorg. All right, that's good. All right, Liz Trevino, thank you very much. All right. Former Senate Majority Leader Chuck Kuala, former Assembly Speaker Scott Jensen, and former State Rep Joe Hendrick. Thanks very much, everybody.